European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 36, Issue 33, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Predictors as well as surrogate and hard endpoints in cardiovascular disease. New therapies in cardiovascular disease are best evaluated with outcomes trials comparing events rates between a new therapy and placebo, or between a new therapy and previously established standards. While registries, in spite of sophisticated statistics, are less reliable. Trials can take years, require large sample sizes, and are very expensive. Investigators have therefore considered biomarkers and the other tests or physical examination findings as surrogates for cardiac events. Trials with surrogates often have a much shorter duration, require smaller sample sizes, and cost far less. However, there are multiple problems with surrogates, which must be considered. This issue begins with a timely current opinion article entitled The Perils of Surrogate Endpoints by William S. Weintraub from Christiana Care Health Services in Newark, Delaware, USA. The authors review several frequently considered potential surrogates and discuss their limitations and also assess the importance of causality in considering surrogates and approaches to evaluating the statistical relationship between surrogates and clinical outcomes. The paper ends with practical considerations for the use of surrogate endpoints in the initial evaluation of novel therapeutics. One typical and well-evaluated surrogate endpoint is blood pressure. Despite the availability of safe and effective antihypertensive drugs, approximately 8-18% to of all patients with high blood pressure are apparently resistant to drug treatment. In this situation, new strategies to help reduce blood pressure are desirable. To that end, catheter-based renal denovation has been developed as a new treatment option for patients with resistant hypertension. However, the clinical evidence in support of renal denovation as an effective interventional technique is conflicting. A number of observational studies and three randomized controlled trials, Prague 15 and DENERHTN, support both safety and efficacy of this new therapy, but some smaller studies and the large single blind randomized sham controlled simplicity HTN3 trial fail to show superiority of renal denovation compared to medical therapy alone. A sub-analysis of the number of ablations performed in Simplicity HTN3, however, strongly suggests that there might have been technical issues that contributed to the neutral results. Whenever doubts arise surrounding the effectiveness of new treatment approaches, an assessment by rigorously designed studies is necessary to furnish conclusive evidence. The current opinion by Felix Mafud and co-workers from the Universitätsklinikum des Saarlandes in Homburg, Germany, Proceedings from the European Clinical Consensus Conference for Renal Denovation Considerations on Future Clinical Trial Design, attempts to reach this goal. With the above-mentioned controversy in mind, a multidisciplinary European expert group convened on December 9, 2014, to assess the current gaps in knowledge, unmet needs, and where clinical trials may be best focused in the future. The manuscript represents a summary of the main conclusions of this clinical consensus conference, and the topics are divided into procedural aspects, patient populations, and design considerations for future clinical trials. In heart failure, most surrogate endpoints failed, with probably the exception of left ventricular remodeling, 
STF-1 promotes tissue repair through mechanisms of cell survival, endogenous stem cell recruitment, and vascular genesis. The first fast-track clinical research paper entitled Changes in Ventricular Remodeling and Clinical Status During the Year Following a Single Administration of SDF1 Non-Viral Gene Therapy in Chronic Ischemic Heart Failure Patients, the STOP-HF Randomized Phase 2 trial by Mark S. Penn from the Summa Cardiovascular Institute in Akron, Ohio, USA, looked closely at this issue. STOP-HF is a phase 2 double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial to evaluate safety and efficacy of a single treatment of plasmid stromal cell-derived factor 1, PSDF1, delivered via endomyocardial injection to 93 patients with ischemic heart failure 11 years after their most recent infarction on stable guideline-based medical therapy with left ventricular ejection fraction of less than or equal to 40%, Minnesota Living with Heart Failure Questionnaire Scores, MLWHFQ, of more than or equal to 20 points, and 6-minute walk distance, 6MWD, of less than or equal to 400 meters. Patients received either 15 mg or 30 mg of PSDF1 or placebo. Safety and efficacy parameters were assessed at 4 and 12 months and left ventricular functional and structural measures by contrast echocardiography. Study injections were well tolerated. For those treated with PSDF1, there was a trend toward an improvement in left ventricular ejection fraction and end systolic volume. A pre-specified analysis of the effects of PSDF1 based on tertiles of left ventricular dysfunction revealed that those with the lowest ejection fraction had significant left ventricular remodeling and improvement in NT-proBNP. In those with an ejection fraction below 26%, 30 mg of PSDF1 increased ejection fraction by 7%, while it decreased by 4% in those receiving placebo. The treated patients also demonstrated an 18.5 milliliter decrease in end systolic volume compared to a 15 milliliter increase in those on placebo. These improvements in cardiac function and structure equated to a 14 milliliter increase in stroke volume in patients treated with 30 milligrams of PSDF1 compared to a decrease of 11 milliliters with placebo. In addition, the 30 mg treated cohort exhibited a 784 picogram per milliliter decrease in NT-proBNP compared to placebo. The authors conclude that the placebo-controlled STOP-HF trial demonstrates that a single delivery of PSDF1 by endomyocardial injection is safe and leads to sustained improvement in left ventricular remodeling at one year, especially in the highest risk patients. The safety profile supports repeated dosing with PSDF1 and the degree of left ventricular remodeling suggests the potential for improved outcomes in larger future trials. The results of this pilot study focusing on surrogate endpoints are critically discussed in an editorial by Francisco Fernandez Avias from the Hospital General Universitario Gregario Marañón in Madrid, Spain. Pathological cardiac hypertrophy is another major surrogate endpoint that predicts the development of cardiac diseases. It is associated with chronic neurohumeral stimulation and with altered cardiac calcium 2 plus signaling in cardiomyocytes. 
In the second paper, Mark Freischel and colleagues from the University Clinic in Heidelberg, Germany, entitled Background Calcium 2 Plus Entry Pathway Mediated by TRPC1 slash TRPC4 is critical for development of pathological cardiac remodeling, investigated the role of TRPC proteins that form agonist-induced cation channels in calcium 2 plus homeostasis in cardiomyocytes during fast systolic calcium 2 plus cycling and neurohumeral stimulation leading to hypertrophy. In a systemic analysis of multiple knockout mice using fluorescence imaging of electrically paced adult ventricular cardiomyocytes and manganese 2 plus quench microfluorimetry, the authors identified a background calcium 2 plus entry pathway that critically depends on TRPC1 slash C4 proteins. Reduction of this background calcium 2 plus entry pathway in TRPC1 slash C4 deficient cardiomyocytes lowered diastolic and systolic calcium 2 plus concentrations both under basal conditions and during neurohumeral stimulation without affecting cardiac contractility in vivo. Neurohumeral induced cardiac hypertrophy as well as the expression of fetal genes such as ANP, BNP and genes regulated by calcium 2 plus dependent signaling such as RCAN1-4 or myomaxin was reduced in TRPC1 slash C4 knockout but not in TRPC1 or TRPC4 single knockout mice. Pressure overload induced hypertrophy and interstitial fibrosis were both ameliorated in TRPC1 slash C4 knockout mice, whereas they did not show alterations in other cardiovascular parameters contributing to systemic neurohumeral induced hypertrophy, such as renin secretion and blood pressure. Freischel and co-workers conclude that the constitutively active TRPC1 slash C4 dependent background calcium 2 plus Entry fine-tunes calcium 2 plus cycling in beating adult cardiomyocytes. TRPC1 slash C4 gene inactivation protects against development of maladaptive cardiac remodeling without altering cardiac or extracardiac functions contributing to this pathogenesis. Although outcome of cardiogenic shock has improved lately, prognosis is still dismal in spite of modern management strategies. Extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, ECMO, may provide mechanical pulmonary and circulatory support for patients with cardiogenic shock refractory to conventional medical therapy. Prediction of survival in these patients may assist in management of these patients. In the third clinical research paper, Predicting Survival After ECMO for Refractory Cardiogenic Shock, the Survival After Veno-Arterial ECMO, SAVE score. Mathieu Schmidt and colleagues from the Medical Intensive Care Unit in Paris, France, aimed to identify pre-ECMO factors that predict survival from refractory cardiogenic shock requiring ECMO and create the survival after veno-arterial ECMO save score. To that end, patients with refractory cardiogenic shock treated with veno-arterial ECMO were extracted from the Internal Extracorporeal Life Support Organization Registry. Multivariable logistic regression was performed using bootstrapping methodology with internal and external validation to identify factors independently associated with in-hospital survival. Of 3,846 patients with cardiogenic shock treated with ECMO, 
42% were alive at hospital discharge. Chronic renal failure, longer duration of ventilation prior to ECMO initiation, pre-ECMO organ failures, pre-ECMO cardiac arrest, congenital heart disease, lower pulse pressure and lower serum bicarbonate were risk factors associated with mortality. Younger age, lower weight, acute myocarditis, heart transplant, refractory ventricular tachycardia or fibrillation, higher diastolic blood pressure and lower peak inspiratory pressure were protective. The SAVE score was created and externally validated in an Australian population of 161 patients and showed excellent discrimination with an area under the curve of 0.90. The authors conclude that the SAVE score may be a tool to predict survival for patients receiving ECMO for refractory cardiogenic shock. Stroke is considered a hard endpoint and relevant both for mortality and quality of life of patients. In patients with atrial fibrillation, the direct oral anticoagulants have shown similar, and in part even better, protection from stroke as compared to vitamin K antagonists. Interestingly, in the N-GAGE AF-TIMI 48 trial, the higher dose edoxaban regimen had a similar incidence of ischemic stroke compared to warfarin, whereas a higher incidence was observed with the lower dose regimen. In the fourth fast-track clinical research paper entitled Edoxaban versus Warfarin in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation on Amiodarone, a subgroup analysis of the N-GAGE AFTIMI48 trial, Jan Steffel and colleagues from the University Heart Center in Zurich, Switzerland, provide a pre-specified exploratory sensitivity analysis on this issue. Of note, amiodarone increases edoxaban plasma levels via P-glycoprotein inhibition. The study was therefore performed to determine the effect of amiodarone on the relative efficacy and safety profile of edoxaban. At randomization, 12% of the patients had received amiodarone. The primary efficacy endpoint of stroke or systemic embolic event was significantly lower with the lower dose regimen compared with warfarin in amiodarone-treated patients than patients not receiving amiodarone with a hazard ratio of 0.60. In patients randomized to high-dose edoxaban, no such interaction for efficacy was observed. Major bleeding was similar in patients on low-dose and high-dose edoxaban, as compared to warfarin, independent of amiodarone use. The authors conclude that the patients randomized to the low-dose edoxaban treated with amiodarone at the time of randomization demonstrated a significant reduction in ischemic events versus warfarin, as compared to those not on amiodarone, while preserving a favorable bleeding profile. In contrast, amiodarone had no effect on the relative efficacy and safety of HDE. This paper is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by David Conan from the University Hospital Basel in Switzerland. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.